So, all right, today is a special day in the life of Veritas Church because later in the gathering, we're going to introduce to you some folks that we believe are going to be installed as deacons here at this church. And so that's why that big graphic is up there on the screen. I know that you guys, yeah, we're really excited about that this morning. Yeah. So um, we have been in a uh, pretty long series in Genesis, and I don't know about you, I'm loving it. Are you guys loving it? Like Genesis is amazing. It's the best. We love it. We've seen the gospel again and again and again, and Jesus shows up on every single page. It's almost like that this book really is miraculous. It's like that this book is supposed to lead us into all truth and godliness and point us. It's a unified story that points the person work of Jesus. And so this morning, if you're here and you see this graphic up on the screens, and you feel like you got gypped because you're expecting Genesis and you're getting deacons this morning, hey, gotcha. Gotcha. Here we go. We're going to be talking about deacons this morning. And before we go too far, I want to acknowledge something. That in a former season of Veritas, we installed deacons here at Veritas. And uh, man, we blew it. It didn't go well. Um, it was something that I think that uh, it, we didn't really have any real clarity on who they were, what they were going to do, or why we should have them. We just had them. Maybe you've been in this circumstance before, or maybe... Uh, you remember back to the days when you did a wedding registration? Nowadays, they have little scanner guns, right? And they give you a little scanner gun at Belk or Target or Bed Bath & Beyond or wherever you go. And if, if, if you're a, a wife in the room, you know what your husband did. You remember that moment because the moment he got hold of that little scanner gun, what did he do? He started running around like he was in a spy movie and just scanning all kinds of stuff. You know, make, like turn, taking the corners too slow, you know, it, and what, the, what you ended up doing was you had registered for like eight different blenders, and you don't know why you have a ninja blender and like a bullet blender and whatever. You just knew you needed a blender. This is kind of the way we kind of felt about deacons back in the day. We installed deacons. We got deacons. We just had them. We didn't know why we had them. We just knew we needed them, right? We registered for them. Jesus said that we, in the New Testament, the, the offices in the church are elders and deacons, so we got to get some. We got to have them, and so we got them. And so what we want to acknowledge is that the leaders of this church, we want to say, surprise, surprise, sometimes leaders get it wrong. Sometimes we blow it. Uh, when leadership fails, there should be ownership of the wrong and then work to get it right the next time. So this go-round, um, we sought to move in a more faithful, intentional way where the elders and staff and leaders and you as the congregation would have buy-in around the clarity of what, what deacons are what they do and who they are and what they're going to do within the church. What does that mean at Veritas? So what we're going to do is two-part sermon series on deacons, both this week and next week. This week, we're going to be looking at Acts 6 together, and next week, we're going to look together at 1 Timothy 3, um, where Paul spe uh, specifically talks about the character of deacons and how they should be viewed in the church. The big takeaway that I want all of us to see over the next few weeks is this. Deacons are essential to the health of the church. The main point even of this sermon is going to be Jesus cares for, loves his church, and has established the office of deacons to serve and strengthen the church. Let me say that again. Jesus cares and loves his church and has established the office of deacons to serve and strengthen the church. I want you over the next couple of weeks to actually believe that. To believe that deacons are not just like icing on the cake, you know, something we should have, maybe, but they really are essential to the health of the church, and over the next couple of weeks, I hope to 
help us see why. See, over the, the past number of weeks, you know, we've been in Genesis and preaching expositionally through, expositionally through a book of the Bible. It's kind of our bread and butter. It's our go-to. It's what we love. It's what should be normative, we believe, in the life of a healthy church. But there's moments in the church where we pause like this, and we focus on a particular topic like this in order to see what the Bible and what God would have for us in this way. And so, just so you know, um, there's a really helpful book uh, titled Deacons by a guy named Matt Smithertz. I still can't say his last name. Uh, you'll hear me say it wrong about eight different times in the sermon today. Matt Smithertz, helpfully titled book called Deacons. It's a little purple book, and we've had all of our elders and our staff read through that book. It's really, really helpful. It's been a key, key resource for me and our leadership team. And so um, if you want to to get a, get a copy of that book um, or talk about that book with someone because you're interested in becoming a deacon, uh, we'll hear later on from Ryan about what that would look like for you. So uh, let's start first with, first with a definition. Um, what even is a deacon? Let me throw this definition up on the screen for you. A deacon, uh, they are, this is from the book, are model servants that meet the tangible needs, organize, and mobilize acts of service, preserve the unity of the flock, and support the ministry of the elders. And so, um, you know, first, we are going to talk a little bit of our personal experience, but I think a, a definition like that could help us clarify on the front end what we mean when we say deacon like that. And so we're going to f- spend a lot of time fleshing that out. Um, but the two th- big things in the sermon that we're going to see today is, what does the Bible have to say about deacons? We want to start there, and then two, what will deacons do at Veritas? So maybe let's start first, though, before we get into what the Bible says in Acts 6, your individual experience with deacons and my individual experience with deacons. So uh, maybe you grew up in, uh, you did not grow up in the church at all, and so the only, you know, term of deacon that you know of is the demon deacons, the, the Wake Forest basketball and football teams, and which, by the way, the demon deacons who were undefeated fell to the Tar Heels yesterday, my, my, my UNC Tar Heels, and I got Josh over there fist bumping in agreement with me. We have have one with spirit with one another in that. We're excited about that. But it, maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what a deacon is. You don't have a mental category for that. And maybe that's a good thing because you don't have any baggage to overcome. But in my own experience, um, I grew up in the church. And so if you've heard of PKs, like pastor's kids, right? I was a DK. I was a deacon's kid. Like my dad was a deacon in the church. And when I was really little, um, my dad was one of a few deacons that kind of whittled down over the years. They kept on saying, like, the younger folks need to take care of that stuff. The younger folks need to step up and take care of that stuff. And so here it was, my dad, as the, quote, younger guy, taking more on and more on and more on. And so over time, he became the only deacon of that church. And uh, this was the church that I heard the gospel in. This is the church that I grew up in hearing about Jesus, sitting in Sunday school, hearing the stories about Jesus, and I came to believe Jesus in that church. I was baptized in that church a couple of times, but that's a story for a different day. Um, But if you were to ask me what a deacon is when I was a kid, I would just say he's the guy who starts the coffee. He's the guy who gets there before anyone. He turns off the lights. He locks up when everybody leaves. He basically does everything in between two, and so I wouldn't have a really good definition of what a deacon would be. So in my experience, my dad, as the deacon, really did everything. See, maybe in your experience, you grew up in a church um, where the deacons had a title, but they didn't really do anything. Uh, Maybe that they held a position, 
And they essentially acted as elders in that local church, making all the decisions. They acted as a board of directors, and nothing kind of happened to the church without their say or their approval. And so what I want to do here is say that all of us in the room right now are coming to this topic of deacon uh, with some level of baggage, whether or not you grew up in the church or not, something you have an idea of uh, about uh, the way that other churches may operate. And what I think it's important to say is, We should stop here and say that we believe that other churches can operate very differently than we are going to do here at Veritas and say that those other churches can be very faithful to Jesus and they are very faithful to Jesus. Even though we may disagree with others on matters of church polity and governance like this, we can certainly partner together to advance the gospel alongside of one another. For example, this past week, um, I and the staff of Veritas went to uh, Church Solutions Conference right down the street at Southview Baptist Church. Um, we gathered there with Barry Murray from the Point Church in Cameron, uh, the Southview Baptist pastors there, the Spout, Spreach, Spout Springs Church executive pastor, and a couple pillar churches that are in the area. And we talked about church planning together. We talked about partnering together in the gospel to see other people reached for Jesus here in this city. We talked about how passionate we are to see the leaders and the lost folks on Fort Bragg come to know and meet Jesus. And we strategized and kind of started with the first little inklings of what we believe could be a beautiful partnership between churches to see other churches planted in this area for Jesus. I mean, we had Baptists in the room, non-denominational churches in the room, and even a Presbyterian, y'all like wanting to help us plant churches here in Fayetteville. It was absolutely amazing. How incredible is that? It's really incredible. We should have a high view of what Jesus wants to do in and through church planting and other churches around here in the area. And we can have disagreements with the way the, the finer points of theology of those churches. We can be and should be in partnership with them. But maybe you're asking the question, though, well, that's fine if someone goes to a different church. What do we do if we disagree with someone about an important topic like this? What if we disagree about the way we see the the officer view deacons within the church? Here's what we should do. We aim to do with a topic like deacons is to be quick to look at what the Scripture says, form our best view, uh, the best we know how, and be humble enough to know that our view is that. It's just, it's our view. Our job isn't going around condemning our brothers and sisters in Christ or policing someone else's theology. We're not doing things the way that we would do it. I'm not saying we should hold loosely to our theological convictions. We should be fully convinced in our own minds of what we believe. But if our theology is rooted in the gospel, it should produce humility in us. Okay? So that's the fact of the matter when it comes to deacons. The Bible tells us um, what deacons do and who they are. And then not much else. Deacons are only mentioned a handful of times in the New Testament. What that does is it allows us a lot of freedom on how we deploy them to meet the needs of other uh, particular needs in the local church and how they are appointed to serve. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's actually look at what what God gave us in Acts chapter 6. If you'll meet me there, uh, we're going to read this passage together and then see what God has for us about deacons. Acts is in the New Testament. Um, It's in between uh, John and Romans. And we'll be picking up Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7.
Here we go. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, to whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, where we're picking up this story in the book of Acts is actually an incredibly exciting period in the life of the early church. I mean, just a couple days ago, apparently, uh, these disciples were all huddled together in a room. There's only just a few of them. They were praying and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come descend on them like Jesus said it was going to happen. The Spirit descends. They are filled with the Spirit. They go out and, and overnight, they go from 120 disciples in a small room to over 3,000 person church. So if you don't like mega churches, you don't like churches in the Bible because they're in the Bible, okay? And they go from 120 to 3,000 real quick, okay? God is blessing the work of their hands. They are being faithful and obedient to Jesus to proclaim the good news of the gospel and to demonstrate it to others. I mean, could you imagine the church partner meeting for this, right? So Peter stands up at the partner meeting. He's like, well, uh, people are getting saved and 3,000 people got baptized the other day and the church is outgrowing the temple and the, the budget keeps going up. Everyone's getting along super well, like selling everything that they have to take of each, care of each other well. And so with the exception of a couple um, kind of bumps in the road, if you will, uh, one couple tries to fake faithfulness and ends up getting absolutely, they, they just die um, in the early church. And then there's persecution coming from the religious leaders, but all that does is further embolden the leaders of the time to continue preaching the good news of the gospel. See, it's everything is serving to propel the church towards greater faithfulness to Jesus, unity with each other, and their commitment to proclaim the gospel. And then this problem pops up. This problem. They're Hellenistic Greeks. These are followers of Jesus that are a part of this faith community that were Hellenistic Jews. That means that they were Greek-speaking Jews that were being left out of the daily distribution of food. This is a different time in society. Uh, there wasn't food stamps going around. There was no like social security net. There was none of that. There wasn't just food pantries available for people. The church had to take care of her poor in a very direct way or they would literally starve. And so think about this. Like, just imagine if like that was your grandma, like your grandma, like someone forgot to give her dinner or, you know, or maybe you're on deployment and someone forgot to provide for your family a meal while you're gone. This is a big deal, y'all. Like, we, we look at this and we're like, okay, so they, got, they didn't get, like, their Walmart grocery delivery drop-off or whatever, like, first world problems. But no, this is like, they didn't eat. This, this, could, this could produce massive disunity in the life of this early church. And so, maybe you've noticed some other problems in this passage, too. Maybe the, uh, if you're here and you're like, 
new to the Bible, you're like, hey, look, I didn't see the word uh, church there. I didn't see the word elders there. I didn't even see the word deacon in this passage. What are you talking about? Now, I just want to acknowledge that quickly that the book of Acts is primarily a a descriptive book, not a prescriptive one. We don't need to go out and start getting apostles now, you know? I don't, we don't just call the church the, the group of disciples. We are the church. See, and, and this group uh, uh, that's called the seven, these are what would become the, the foundation seedbed of what we call deacons in the church. See, the details of this story are important, but these biblical texts assume that you are reading them in concert with the other biblical texts in the New Testament. The text that more clearly lay out what's going on here, that this is the church, these are elders serving the church, and these are deacons being installed in this. See, as far as deacons go, there's only mention elsewhere in the New Testament just a couple other times. One is 1 Timothy 3 that we're going to see next week, uh, but then there's Romans 16, 1 through 2. Let me read it for you. It says this, I command, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, which means deaconess. A lot of you will have a footnote in the bottom of your Bible there. For the church at Centre that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and in her, in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And Philippians 1, 1 through 2, mentions the deacons like this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. That word overseers there is equivalent to elders or pastors or shepherds in the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of those texts, y'all, that's really it in the New Testament. There's not much else to guide the church around the role of deacons outside of these few texts. But what I want you to be confident with and walk away with this morning is that Jesus cares for and loves his church and has established this office of deacon to serve and strengthen the church. Now let's see this in particular in this story in Acts 6. Let's zoom back in on on this passage. Let's start with the problem. The problem is that these these widows are being left out of the daily distribution. And this issue could have led to not only the first church plant, but the first church split. That's what could have happened here. If If it was just left to fester, if these elders weren't listening to the congregation, they didn't have an ear to the people, could have very easily called the first, caused the first fissure in the church. See, um, in, at the end of Acts 5, it says this in verse 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the whole theme of chapter 5, that these leaders are continuing to teach and preach the gospel. So not, what's at stake here is not just that the widows are being left out, is that the elders are going to be wrapped up in doing these practical tasks and serving the needs of the church right alongside of everyone else, and it takes them out of the game from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because look down at verse 2. This is part of the problem. And the twelve said, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, is it not right, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of word of God to serve tables? The spiritual leaders of the church who just a few minutes ago are described as teaching and preaching unceasingly, like never stopping this. They're doing this every day. Now they're wrapped up in meeting these practical needs. That whole of chapter 5 is about how when the enemy uses outright imprisonment and persecution as deterrence to preaching the good news 
of the gospel. And guess what? The leaders won't stop. So what here is happening in chapter 6 is the enemy is changing tactics here. This is Satan. This is the enemy. This is the devil on display here, changing his strategy, and he's trying to stop the gospel from advancing. He's trying to stop these leaders from teaching and preaching the gospel by wrapping up the apostles and getting them focused on really, really good, real things in the life of the church. Important things. See, it's almost like we have a real enemy who's dead set on stopping the gospel from being preached and unity being maintained in the life of the church. So, in order to solve this problem, the church needs a solution. These elders needed deacons. And by the wisdom and guidance of the Spirit, Jesus leads them to make a decision. This is what they decide to do. Let's look back at verses 3 and 4. I'll read number two, uh, verse 2 again for clarity. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, here's the solution. Brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Now what we see here is the entire church had a clear role on helping select and affirm the deacons that would be appointed by the elders to meet the needs of that particular church. Isn't that just simple and clean? Elders' primary role is prayer and ministry of the word. The church helps to select and affirm deacons, these deacons would then serve the practical needs of the church. It's, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. These elders would then appoint these deacons to serve the specific needs of that church. And the result, look at verse 5 together. The result, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And here's the final result. The word of God continued to increase. The enemy did not win here. Division did not win here. Good things that didn't lead to the best things didn't win here. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient in the faith. See, the first clear result was that the church was pleased with the guidance of the elders, that this was a, this was a spirit-wrought decision. This wasn't just the elders in their own wisdom coming up with this. This wasn't just a trick play they had in their back pocket, right? You know what? I don't like serving tables, so I'm just going to trick some other guys into doing it. No, that was not the motivation here. These elders, these apostles, these leaders, the 12, they loved doing this. They loved serving their church. They loved their people. But they said, you know, it's not right that we should give up preaching and teaching in order to do this good thing, this thing, this necessary thing that needs to get done. So you know what? We're going to ordain sovereignly by the will of Jesus, ordain this new office in the church of deacon. All throughout the life of Israel, there were elders in, uh, in, in the, the, the way that just Israelite society worked. But there was never a role that kind of equates to this role of deacon within those societies. This is kind of a new thing in the life of what would be a church community. See, this is, this is a spirit-wrought decision in the life of the church. And it's clear that these men were guys for the job 
because the church is excited about it. And if, there's, there's hints here, too, uh, because these men have Greek names. These men have Greek names. They would have had a vested interest in this issue. They would have probably known the women that were being left out of this distribution, and they would want to see them taken care of. I kind of wonder, and this is me, and that's the Bible's over there, but this is me. I kind of wonder, is this like the, the, the cousins or the, the, these are the, their grandmothers or mothers or people that they have like a familial relationship, some of these Hellenistic Greeks? I kind of wonder if there's actual family ties there. See, in the past year of, of our church, many of you voiced that there needed to be clearer avenues for men and women's care within this church within Veritas Church. So over the past year, we made plans as a leadership team to, to launch cohorts for men and women's care teams to come alongside of men and women within the church that just needed help. They, they, they were struggling. They needed people to walk alongside of them in hard seasons. And now, men and women are being deployed to serve those needs in the church. See, that's an incredible way in which uh, the church can meet the needs that, that shows itself within it. And look with me at the last result of this passage in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In short, the church flourished. A church with healthy elders, with healthy deacons, addressing the needs of the church, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and demonstrating it through action. The church advanced in this. They continued to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the good needs of the gospel as the elders continued to preach and the practical needs were being met with the deacons. So that was then. Here we are now. Here we are now. So now that we've seen what the Bible says about deacons and what they do, we need to ask the question, what are deacon's going to do here at Veritas. And so here it is, just right here on the screen for you. Deacons in our local church will be identified by the church, like the early church in Acts. They will be affirmed by the congregation and then appointed by the elders to meet practical needs, to, uh, the, to meet the acts of service, or any other need that would keep the elders from their primary duties of prayer and ministry of the word. See, we already have men and women meeting these practical needs and mobilizing acts of service through our men and women's teams and, and men and women's care teams and through military care team. These leaders are doing exactly what the seven did back in the church in Jerusalem. We have men and women here in Veritas that get here early and stay late and make sure that the needs on a Sunday morning are being met in here. See, these leaders are doing what they want to do in order to see the unity of the church protected and to see the church, you guys, as the church, flourish as you hear the gospel proclaimed, as you hear and see needs met within our body. These leaders are doing exactly what the seven did back in the church in Jerusalem, seeing a clear need and then rising up to that need and to meet it. So in order for a church to have clarity about her deacons, you as the church, you as partners and members and congregation of the church, you need to know what your deacons do. You need to know just what the job description is so that you can affirm and voice affirmation for, yes, that person should meet that particular need. Yes, that, that person is 
is poised to meet that need within the church. So each deacon will be a part of a process at Veritas here to write their own job description for themselves for how they intend to serve and identify how best to serve in the church. And so that means deacons, if you feel like you have a way in which you're like, hey, I would love to serve the church in this particular way, you should raise your hand and say, I want to be a deacon. You should meet with Ryan, have a, have a cup of coffee and get handed that book on deacons by Ryan. That should be one avenue of it in this church. Another way, it should be the church affirming and saying like, hey, I see this guy serving this way and it's above and it's beyond and he's rallying people around this cause and it's being met and it brings unity to our church body as this man does this or as this woman does this in the church. That should be a way in which the church responds and affirms her deacons that way. Then we should just make it formal, make it public. Ask you as the church to affirm people in these positions of leadership in the church. And that's what we're going to do here in a couple of minutes, okay? So all of this really, really matters because unity in the church matters to Jesus. See, in the New Testament, uh, an, an, uh, an idea is deployed again and again and again by the Apostle Paul that we are a body as a church. We're a family as a church. And if there's if you're a part of a family and there's one member of your family that's really hurting, the whole family hurts. Maybe you're here this morning and a part of your body actually hurts. I don't know, remember the last time you stubbed your big toe, right? I don't know, I've, I've almost been taken out by my big toe getting stubbed on something, right? You hit the couch, you know, going to the bed, you know, it's late or whatever, everything's dark. You hit the toe and you're like, just shoot me. You know, I'm done. I, you know, I just put me in the cask, I'm done. The big toe, everything's gone. See, all parts of the body matter. When one part of the body hurts, all of the body hurts. So it literally takes all parts of this body working together to grow to build itself up in love. Elders doing what they should be doing. Deacons doing what they should be doing. Use the congregation serving and doing what you should be doing as the church. And the whole body grows itself up in love and meets the needs of everyone else. See, this is really good news for us this morning because, and we need good news this morning, because even though that's our desire as a church body to see each other flourish this way, it doesn't always work out like that. Deacons fail. Elders fail. We as the church fail one another. We fail to meet the needs that are around us. We, fa we fail to rise to the occasion sometimes. But there's one who has always risen to the occasion. There is one who has sought to seek and serve above and beyond always in relation to us. The truth is that, that deacons who wouldn't be perfect in their job would point to the one that is 2 Corinthians 9, 8-9 tells us this, God is able to make all grace abound to you, church, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. See, deacons point beyond themselves as servants to the one who serves us all, namely Jesus. Jesus, who would serve, never complaining, who would serve and be himself 
not only the thing that is provided, like in, in Acts, the meal that was, that was neglected to these widows, Jesus is the both gift and gift giver when he serves. He provides the ultimate gift of himself. His presence communicates his love for us, and in his service, he never ceases to serve us. He loves us. He wants to show us and point us to himself always. He is always there to meet our needs. So deacons in their role of service are just, just signposts pointing to the one who would serve us perfectly and always, Jesus himself. See, the first deacons were just walking in the footsteps of Jesus who serves us as both the giver and the gift as himself. Now what we're going to do now, church, is I'm going to pray here in a second, and then these deacons that we want to put forward to you, I'm going to come up here on this stage, and we're going to put them before you guys. They're going to tell us a little bit, uh, Ryan's going to tell us a little bit about them, and then uh, we are going to pray for them and ask you to affirm them over the next number of days, okay? Let me go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for serving us. Thank you for serving us in ways that we don't deserve, seeing our needs and meeting them. Lord Jesus, you have bought us. You have um, won us to yourself. You have shown us your mercy and your kindness by the ways in which you've served us, by dying for us and by pouring out your blood, uh, by offering your body as the meal by which we would be fed um, continually and forever. And God, I pray um, in the life of this church and um, among this body, I pray, with the installation of, uh, of deacons, men and women, serve in these positions uh, to meet these needs. May this body grow itself um, in love. And may we grow more and to looking more like you, Lord Jesus. I pray that in your name. Amen.